Jack. Levi. Are we the crazy ones? Hello. Welcome to Are We The Crazy Ones, the podcast that explores fringe perspectives. I'm your co-host, Levi. This week, Jack and I read The Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanus. You may not know who Valerie Solanus is, but her ideas have had an outsized impact on Western culture. She is most well known for shooting and almost killing Andy Warhol. However, she has left a controversial and important legacy in feminist discourse ever since. Opponents, especially of the r slash red pill variety, often equate feminism with hatred of men. This argument against feminism is ignorant at best and maliciously disingenuous at worst. However, the insufficient hatred of men by feminists is one reason why Valerie Solanus herself did not identify as a feminist. In the manifesto, Solanus ambitiously advocates the killing of men and overthrowing all parts of society corrupted by the evil patriarchy. Her ideas were so radical that most mainstream feminists in the 1960s and 70s outright alienated her. However, she is also recognised for giving voice to the anger that so many women feel towards the gender-based injustices in our society. The manifesto captured the mind of a generation of female activists as a screaming fuck you to the patriarchy. In a strange way, her vulgarity, rage, hatred and contempt for men captured a pain that women all over the world feel as they are abused, oppressed and marginalised, both personally by specific men in their lives and impersonally by non-specific institutional forces operating for the benefit of men to the exclusion of women. Those emotions, whilst ugly and difficult to make space for, are no less part of the experience of many women and therefore... Valerie Solanus's willingness to scream her rage is an important contribution to the patchwork of perspectives in our world. The manifesto really speaks for itself, so without further ado, please enjoy The Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanus. This is really petty and we will get on to talking about what this book is about in a moment, but I know that calling things groovy in the 60s was probably cool, but... Reading it now, it just sounds like she's being insincere and trying to be funny when she talks about groovy, funky females emasculating men just or something like that. And to me, it, it's just really funny. It's really groovy funny. is used as a as a sincere. Yeah, it's not ironic. Positive. It's the 60s. adjective. It's, she, yeah, she, it's the 60s. She groovy, funky females will take over the world. Yeah. A year before she it, shot Andy Warhol. <laughs> and she she was in New York, right? So she was all about getting groovy and being funky. Getting groovy. <laughs> yeah. So It's also are... how sometimes she spells it with an I-E. Oh, groovy yeah. and funky spelt with an I-E. Anyway, this, 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 is, this, this is complete window dressing. This is very shallow, expected behavior from a man that this is what I focus on <laughs> when I read the Scum Manifesto. Um, to her credit, it is it is well written. I really enjoy how she writes. She's, well, that's a good place to stop. The she writes session. in a very funny way. <laughs> what were your what Sorry? were your what were your thoughts going in to the into the reading? Going into scum, I'd heard of it on quite a few occasions as a piece of really extreme misandrist literature. So I was looking forward to it. It was short, which I was also looking forward to, particularly <laughs> after Evola. 
I had heard that it was well written. Uh, I was prepared to have a good time with it, but in the end, I mostly had a good time, but I, I got pretty strong Varg vibes from it in that mm. the the unrestrained hatred really did start to wear me down after a while. But, again, it's quite short, so not too much. <laughs> yeah. Was, How about you? Varg was like 150 pages of hatred. <laughs> of hatred. This was, this was fewer. Yeah. Yeah. So I went into it quite curious. Um, i got to be honest. I haven't read too many feminist books. Um, but most feminist stuff that I know about is more like critiques of of like some establishment or some cultural norm or something like that. Or like, yeah, rather than or, a call for extermination. Or, or actively saying like, here's, here's an issue of discrimination or here's... Is here's some way in which women suffer disproportionately to men in our society, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> and this is just not they like tend that to be at more all. constructive. <laughs> yeah, constructive <laughs> critiques and and uh, and social reforms and stuff. Whereas this was just, and I knew this was radical, and I, I think I also knew that it had something to do with kill all men. But mm-hmm. I didn't realize how fucking sincere this <laughs> this person was about. Well, the, when you say sincere, that is really interesting because I've read in multiple places that there is apparently a debate as to whether this is sincere or satire or somewhere in between. There are there are some people saying that this is actually a brilliant satirization of Sigmund Freud's ideas around sex. And that it shouldn't be taken literally. And given given some of her propositions, there were some moments when I was reading this and thinking, oh, come on, mate, this is a troll. When she starts talking about how under the, the female New World Order, death and disease and ageing will be eliminated within a matter of weeks or months, hence why you won't need men. But so the, the, there were moments like that when I thought, yeah, come on, okay, this is a joke. But... My overall impression is that people are over-intellectualizing this, that this is a very extreme woman writing about her very extreme viewpoint. I'm inclined to take this seriously. I, but then I, again, like, it's she hard. She is a playwright. She, she wrote a play yeah. before writing Scum. So I could, I could see that argument, maybe. Um, uh, you know, Freud's impact on the culture, the culture, quote unquote, uh, is is huge. So, mm-hmm. I could yeah, see how, especially in the sixties, things that she was, the way that she wrote about certain things, or she might have been re- using language that was kind of being thrown around, like all the his her references to daddy's mm-hmm. girls and all that sort of stuff, kind of almost allusions to Edith Wood yeah. sort of references. Um, so maybe, but I, I don't think... It, it seems pretty sincere to me. Yeah. Yeah. There are certainly some parts where... So when she talks about how men have pussy envy, that's <laughs> clearly an inversion of Freud's idea that all yeah. women have penis envy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. But it, it seems some people read this and then talk about it being satire, trying to minimise the hatred... Whereas I think she really hated men. Yeah, she really. Uh, that 
That comes through very strongly. I don't think she was playing around when it came to her misandry. She was... It's like Varg with anti-Semitism. She yeah. was 100% there. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Having now read it, one of the things that I would say about the book at a, at a broad... At a, at a high level is that... I don't even know if I would classify it as a feminist text. It's mis- like... Drawing a clear distinction yeah, between misandry and um, feminism, I think <laughs> I think it's important. <laughs> but in order to have a yeah, a yeah, that's a good distinction to make. <laughs> and uh, especially uh, as a dude, right? Uh, I think I've seen men online, in particular, like not not in my own personal life, but men online equate feminism with misandry, and I think that's. Mm. Uh, a false equivocation um and when you read solanas you just <laughs> recognize that she was just a misandrist she just <laughs> yeah, hated there's me. a big difference and she wasn't even well, she wasn't even necessarily advocating for women's rights just women's supreme uh lordship and domination and the eradication of men <laughs> so it's not even rights it's just yeah well i keep <laughs> i keep bringing up varg because it, this book gave me such Vague Smile vibes because, as we were discussing in the Vague Smile episode, which everyone should listen to if they haven't already, and if you have already listened to it, listen to it again to get our, our listens up. Oftentimes today, at least in the West, people will just accuse each other of being white nationalists. Yeah. Or Nazis or something like that. And it, that accusation is often quite flimsy. And is yeah. just thrown around without really thinking about it. And when you read someone who is genuinely a white nationalist, you realise, oh, there is a material difference between someone maybe making a tasteless joke and someone advocating for a nation only for whites. In the same way, yeah. there is a material difference between a feminist and someone who is advocating <laughs> for the extermination the of active, men. Active <laughs> These are two very different things. Yeah, she is... An, and and more to my argument, the reason why she's not a feminist, or is <laughs> not a feminist that most, peop- that most people would identify as feminist, <laughs> is that... Uh, well, that I, I think is reasonable, is that um, she, she wasn't even... Uh, on board with the feminists of her time. <laughs> she could... Uh, a scum manifesto, especially when it blew up after she shot Warhol, um, caused a schism and like uh, in, in feminism at the time in, in North America, and in particular, a bunch of people from this organization called... Um, uh, what is it called? N-O-W, National Organization for Women. That was a feminist organization founded uh, in, I think like 64 or something like that. Um, first, it was kind of like civil rights movement for women. Uh, they had a bunch of people fracture off because of uh, Solanus's work. And uh, it's not clear to me that they, a lot of people there, supported her views. And even in New York, there was another organization called NYRW, which was New York Radical Women's, uh, like New York Radical Women, she wasn't mm-hmm. associated with them. She was just kind of this mm. fringe person out there um, who wasn't actively doing doing any activism. She she derides activism in the book. 
Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't believe in social reform. And uh, even the things that she wants her followers to do is like not form an organization or anything like that. Just go and fuck stuff up. It's, it's almost like yeah. it's almost like anarchism meets anti-establishment, violent anti-establishment points of view meets misandry. Yeah. 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 So the the scum manifesto. So in in some some people say scum stands for society for cutting up men. Some people say it doesn't. That was a post. I quite like society for cutting up men because it really tells you what this book is about. Yeah. But it should be noted that it she she disavowed that interpretation. Hmm. But um, specifically, so just so that we know, just so everybody knows, uh, <laughs> uh, scum. So let's clarify what, what is scum scum before we get into the chronological picking, pickings, I suppose, uh, scum. Yeah. So if you think let's broadly, uh, separate the world into three classes of people, there's men, women, and then men and women. And then within women, there's daddy's girls who are like. The girls who, the women who are subservient to men, who, you know, domestic housewives, but even to some degree in Solanus's point of view, uh, the NW, the NOW and other feminist groups are essentially still daddy's girls because they're operating within the structure to try and reform this thing um, and doing it non like reform the system and doing it non-violently. And then there are what she calls scum, <laughs> which are... Uh, Arrogant, loud-mouthed, uh, in-your-face, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> outspoken, groovy, <laughs> groovy, <laughs> funky, violent, conceited females. Yeah, conceited females who uh, their only duty is to not merely drop out of the system, but to stay in the system and actively cause havoc by fucking things up, like you know, stealing stuff at work, and yeah. like, smashing windows, and and doing all sorts of stuff. So. Scum, she refers to women who are in that category. Those are scum. And so the manifesto is for those types of women who are basically just filled with anger and hatred towards men and aren't even happy with feminism Mm -hmm. of the 60s and are just like, okay, let's just tear the system down and take it over. Yeah, that's scum. That's who the audience is. I think a good way to start our discussion of this is with the first thing written in the book, which is (laughs) it is a... It is a seriously good opening paragraph. So the book starts with Life in this society being at best an utter bore and no aspect of society being at all relevant to women, there remains to civic-minded, responsible, thrill-seeking females only to overthrow the government, eliminate the money system, institute complete automation and destroy the male sex. And that... That is kind of the book. I mean, you can read the rest of it if you want. The rest some, is a bit of a an more expansion on that, but that <laughs> kind of sums up her entire thesis. Yeah. Is men are ruining everything and are inherently terrible. Women are inherently good, but most women are corrupted by terrible men. And so you destroy the government, you get rid of money, and you institute complete automation, which would obviate the need for men and get rid of men because they're they're useless. Yeah. And included okay, and that's an interesting point. Included in the concept of automation is uh the 
getting rid of all causes of disease and death. And so you live, you, you can live, you know, however long, just eternity. And so there's no need to reproduce in her world. So because there's no need to reproduce, we don't, no longer need men. Yeah. yeah. How about we start off with the essential nature of the man? <laughs> Levi, what are we? <laughs> Fuck. We just... Because uh... <laughs> oh, no, she okay. So, if you're listening and you're a piece of trash man with a deformed X chromosome that's turning into a piece of well, trash, fuck you. So, uh, <laughs> she's a really fucking good writer. <laughs> no, she. Th- this is something that I want to emphasize to people. She writes really well. She, the pure venom. And sarcasm in her prose is <laughs> that, that this is probably my favorite thing about the book. She writes really well in a different life. She's, she's got a very particular style where, and I like this less. Where when she's describing something she likes, she'll she'll list like ten different adjectives to describe it. <laughs> it's like scum, groovy, funky, free spirited, violent, Thrill obnoxious, seeking. arrogant, conceited females. It's she 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 does have a bit of verbal diarrhea, but at times, but for the most part, it's really snappily written. So this this pretty much sums up her views. On men. <laughs> this is uh, two two quotes put together. The male is an incomplete mm-hmm. female, a walking abortion, aborted at the gene stage. To call a man an animal is to flatter him. He is a machine, a walking dildo. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it. And then basically yeah. she spends, and we can read some of the highlights, but she then proceeds oh, yes. to spend... Yeah, we, we, need, we need to read some of the quotes. Many, many, many paragraphs basically. Just, okay, here's something bad about the world. Here's why men are responsible for it. <laughs> men. Oh, because, yeah, she, she does go through the bit about listing all the problems in the world. But let's first describe fundamentally what men and women are and then we can get into that she where, where she gives that huge list about like war invasion of privacy and all these things like that and why they're men's fault yep because i think fundamentally so she is very much a sex and gender essentialist yeah and <laughs> men are so emotional cripples. <laughs> True philosopher. I am an internet anthropologist. <laughs> internet anthropologist, Jack, Captain Jack, Dr. Jack, PhD in broology. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have a PhD, but... <laughs> in being a turd. In being a turd, yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, go, go on, you piece of trash. <laughs> <laughs> so... We are emotional cripples. Men have a purely physical and egocentric nature. They, they cannot empathise with other beings. They cannot relate to other beings. And have, have no spiritual connection. In fact, they, men can barely feel emotion at all, which we will get into, which explains in part their predilection for violence because you need really strong stimuli to feel anything at all and men fundamentally want to be women she has the concept of pussy envy that men see women and see how good women are because women are complete human beings women can physically women can 
feel physically, but also emotionally. They can empathize with others. They can maintain real relationships and real friendships. I mean, only be- only between women, of course, not women and men, because yeah. men are incapable of that. So men see how good women are and desperately want to be women. And how do men resolve this problem? Well, men being fundamentally passive, women, women are fundamentally active. The only place where men are better than women is in PR and marketing. And <laughs> Solanus says this. And so what yeah, men yeah. have done... They've convinced themselves and they've convinced women that female nature, so being active, being sensitive to the world, being spiritual, being creative, passionate, those are all male characteristics. And male characteristics being passive, vapid, flighty, stupid, those are all female characteristics. So men have twisted things around. Yeah. But deep down, men still know that they're trash. Yeah. From that stems so many problems. I've got a quote here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. He, the man, is a half-dead, unresponsive lump, incapable of giving or receiving pleasure or happiness. Consequently, he is at best an utter bore, an, ineff- an inoffensive blob, since only those capable of absorption in others can be charming. He is trapped in a twilight zone halfway between humans and apes and is far worse off than the apes because unlike the apes, he is capable of a large array of negative feelings, hate, jealousy, contempt, disgust, guilt, shame, and doubt. And moreover, he is aware of what he is and is not. So Solanus re- references mm, yeah. this quite a lot throughout the book where she says basically men are essentially husks, hollow husks that primarily feel horrible feelings and they deal with that in different ways by subordinating women, by like, uh, you know, beating women, by uh, projecting power and like having to have wars to prove that they're men and uh, engaging in competitive acts and uh, all, all these <laughs> sorts of things, basically to fill this giant hole in our, in our empty husks mm-hmm. of our, our, our empty yeah. hearts. And it's because men see that women are complete human beings, men desperately and fundamentally wish that they were women. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And the most extreme example of that is, uh, uh, <laughs> is uh, like drag queens. And uh, she mm. does, she does, I, I don't think the term transgender was around at the time. And I don't think they would have had that distinction. Like today, these days, there's a very clear distinction between like drag queen Mm. and transgender and gender various forms of uh gender identity whereas at the time she basically just said and i'm quoting here (laughs) but she basically said okay there's faggots and the more extreme faggots are drag queens and they're they're actually revealing their inner desire to be a woman and in doing that they're doing it in a very male trash turd sort of way and they can't even embody what it means to be a woman properly they mm-hmm. it, they they kind of put on a masquerade this uh perverted uh degraded form of what they think a woman is based on these disgusting social norms or cultural norms um and even then they can't be a woman so it's like men subconsciously trying to be women 
the gay ones are kind of admitting it a bit more and the drag queens are admitting it the most, but they're still turned, mm. so they can't do it. Yeah, it is interesting, her view of gay people, because she says that they're better than hetero men because they more readily acknowledge their true nature and are passive <laughs> and effeminate and weak. I love I love the true but nature. She argument. she also says that men are incapable of love. So yeah. to any gay listeners out there, you and your boyfriend or you and your husband don't love each other. I'm sorry to inform you. That's not you possible. That if you've been you together for first. 20 years. I'm sorry. Your your yeah, your uh, so-called loving relationship is totally invalid, fellas. It's a lie. I mean, look, I don't love my wife apparently either. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> You're not and alone. We're not friends, Jack, because we're turds. No, <laughs> we can't have that's true friendship. Actually, yeah, <laughs> friendship between men is also impossible. <laughs> so one of, one of the um, how do I put it? She basically says. That true love, like real love, is non-sexual or asexual. So she she has a hang-up about sex. And she says that anything spoiled or sort of tarnished by sex or sexual motives uh, is illegitimate. So a man and a woman can't be friends, or a male and a female, sorry, can't be friends. And that's because... (laughs) There'll always be this sexual part of it. The man, the man is an inherently sexual thing and only wants to get mm. his rocks off. And the woman, being a brainwashed little daddy's girl, is going to be subordinate to that and think. And you know, maybe she's dick drunk and she just wants some cock, right? So, <laughs> so like, it's 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 flawed all the way up. They can't be friends. Um, same between two gay dudes. They can't be... It's not real love because it's tainted by sex. So she advocates this view of love mm. and friendship that it necessarily has to be asexual in order for it to be legitimate. Yeah. And men are men are totally obsessed with sex. Totally obsessed with sex. Which, you know, is kind of... And <laughs> that's, it's for a few reasons. One is that men are purely physical. Yeah. And she regards sex as a purely physical act and nothing else. There is... Well, there might be emotions associated with it, but they're all negative. And for a bit of context, apparently she was sexually abused by her father. So Mastered when she was a child. Like, yeah, that, that contextualizes things why she would feel and this way about sex. But reading reading the book, father. you get this strong impression that this is a woman who's undergone some sort of trauma. And then oh, I, I looked up her trauma. life afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, you, reading the book, you, like, or the manifesto. You just within the first couple of pages go, oh, this person's so, been like deeply, deeply. This is a traumatized <laughs> yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, sure. So should we, what? But probably the main reason why men are obsessed with sex is because they want they want to be women and they want to get as close to women as they can. And so she says of men, the male is nonetheless obsessed with screwing. He'll swim a river of snot, wade nostril deep through a mile of vomit if he thinks there'll be a friendly pussy awaiting him. He'll screw a woman he despises, any snaggle-toothed hag, and furthermore, pay for the opportunity. <laughs> this is a fucking men good are... writer, man. That's quite So many of these quotes I want to read out because they're really good. He's got... So then, another thing that men do, why they have sex, is that... Men, one of the fundamental drivers of male behavior is the the terror that they're going to be found out to be male. 
that someone is going to see through the charade and realize that they don't have all of these what are truly female characteristics of being active and strong, single-minded, passionate, Mm. that someone's going to see through that. So one way that men go about stopping anyone seeing this is by, quote-unquote, being a man. And one of these things involves having sex. And she describes this as big man with a big dick tearing off a big piece. (laughs) That's how how you, you demonstrate your masculinity. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's how I generally demonstrate my masculinity when I'm feeling when I'm feeling a little bit down, a little bit out of place in this uh big old world, and I just want to flex and go and tear myself off a big piece. Yeah, she says later, <laughs> screwing is for a man a defense against his desire to be female, which yeah that 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 sums up yeah. a lot of her view on this. Women. Don't have penis envy. Men have pussy envy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> should, we, should we do like a are we the crazy ones check-in? Now that yeah, we've described let's do that. Men, and, men and women. Men and women. Are we the crazy ones? I didn't find this book very convincing. <laughs> I found it quite fun, but yeah. unconvincing because... She doesn't, like a lot of people we have read for this podcast, she doesn't actually bother explaining anything. She just says, these are the characteristics of men in actuality. These are the characteristics of women in actuality. They're reversed in our society because I say so. And you've got to believe me. Yeah. So I don't think I'm the crazy one for thinking that, say, men and women or men and men can have meaningful emotional relationships. I, I'm still pretty convinced that 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 can be the case. You're not convinced. <laughs> You're not convinced. <laughs> you walking dildo piece of shit. <laughs> well, I should preface all of this with, to the best of my knowledge, I am a man and therefore probably an emotional cripple. So whatever <laughs> I say is is inherently suspect and. There is a strong possibility that this is all going over my head. What about you? <laughs> well, it's clearly going over Scroty. my head. Scroat piece of shit. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm a man. <laughs> um, okay. So I'll give us, the crazy I'll give ones us, check in. I'll give her some credit. I'm convinced. <laughs> she says the female function is to relate, groove, love, and be herself irreplaceable by anyone else okay i think like you know being 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 cool with women is like one thing especially in the 60s when they just had to say things uh i mean they they were doing really basic stuff like hey we want to be able to be on a board of this civil rights organization and the men would be like no (laughs) (laughs) it's just like okay so for for her to be on board with like pro pro women is is great, but then the second half of the sen- sentence is the male function is to produce sperm. We now have sperm banks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, well, the the immediate follow up question is where does the sperm come from in a sperm bank? So, 
Am I the crazy one? Again, granted with the caveat that I'm a I'm merely a turd auxiliary to the scum. To <laughs> Hobart division of the scum. <laughs> um, I uh I'm not convinced. And I think <clears throat> this, as you were saying, relates to the fact that the books that we've been reading have been largely polemic or manifestos. They're not and what I've I I guess what I'm getting from reading these sorts of works is that it's not clear to me that the people who are writing them are trying to convince people outside of uh people that would already agree with them. It's almost like they're more yeah. like rallying cries. So maybe somebody would come in and they're kind of on the fence. Maybe they would read, you know, Unabomber or Bronze Age Pervert or um, Scum Manifesto. Maybe they would be swayed, but I doubt it. I feel like mm. it's more the people who already agree with them are going to these texts. You know, say somebody on <laughs> FDS <laughs> or in Bronze Age's example, uh, somebody on Red Pill hears about this book. Yeah. They already have these kind of thoughts or these emotions percolating. And then they read this text and it gives voice to views that they already had. And it gives them a kind of uh, yeah. thing to crystallize their point of view. And in this case, I think there probably are women who hate men for whatever reason in their own personal lives or the, in their view of like the, the ills of society, who probably in the 60s um, had a lot more reason for it, um, but picked up this book or saw this book or saw what happened with Warhol, heard about this woman, read her book, and it captured things that they were already feeling and gave them something and in, in her prescriptions about how to respond to that with like being violent and stuff. Maybe some women are like, yeah, this, this speaks to me. But it's certainly not convincing to people outside of, yeah. of that. It's, it's sort of like when we were reading The Doctrine of Fascism by Mussolini, how pretty early on he says, fascism is a political ideology based in objective reality. And if you were already convinced, you'd read that and think, yeah, it is. That's why I believe it. And if you're not convinced, you read it and say, yeah, but why? Yeah, that's almost and that, like... That was, that was a common question while I was reading this, while I was reading, yeah, while I was reading Mussolini, while I was reading Varg, while I was reading Terence McKenna, almost everyone we've read is they'll make a statement and my first response is, yeah, but why? Yeah. Yeah, they, they just start In off with like, defense, actually, Evola was one of the only people we've read where at the start you've got the yeah, but why moments, but then as you go on, because he explains everything, you think... Uh, I can, uh, if I squint, I can kind of see that. Yeah, and if you kind of, maybe if you read some of his other work, or he could have put like a one-page thing that said, yeah, this is the logic of perennialism. Mm. But anyway, yeah. but we're anyway, talking about, talking about we're talking about scrots. No, but it is, let's, let's talk about. it's kind of strange that we're up to reading, this is like our sixth or seventh text, right? At what point do reading this kind of material do we actually start distilling out? Is there, can does this experience of reading these sorts of points of view actually teach you anything? <laughs> I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just fucking dumb. But anyways, moving on. Let's move on to the second half. To the second. Yeah. To the second I'll half. open it up with a quote. So we're gonna we're gonna go through her list of all of the ways <laughs> that the men have screwed ills. up the modern world. Yeah. And I'll start off with a quote. 
The male, because of his obsession to compensate for not being female, combined with his inability to relate and to feel compassion, has made of the world a shit pile. And first, first subject, war. <laughs> there, there were some really good phrases. So, war is a male way to try to feel female because... In war, you are active, you're fighting, you're affecting the world, and men in their distorted in, in their distorted way of trying to imitate being a woman, they do this. She calls it getting his big gun off. Big gun, capital B, capital G. <laughs> and because you can you can only go and fight in a war a limited number of times before you get killed or you get too old to do it. And because men have no compassion, they need to kill lots and lots and lots of people to make it worth it, to prove that he's a man in a war. I think a lot of feminists would actually agree with with with, with what she's saying. <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay, okay. I think that she a lot of the things that she says in terms of like here's a social ill war is it is the obvious first one is actually feminist are are feminist talking points that i've heard from women who i wouldn't necessarily say are misandrous mm. but they say well look at all the bad things war political corruption they're all men hmm? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's true it's war is definitely a dude activity i think it tends to be a dude activity like how many how many warmongering women are there Clinton, Cleopatra, Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, through through history. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, a few members. Few Catherine, members of the Catherine the British the royalty. Catherine the Great certainly liked. She liked. She liked killing people. Liked a good war. <laughs> um, Isabella of Aragon. But here's the thing: definitely are they liked. in the minority relative? So, if you look at all the female leaders, and then you renormalize their kill count. Like the total female kill count renormalized for the fact that there's less female leaders. Are they still like, mm. are they still proportionally keeping up with men? Mm. You know? So if men have killed mm. a billion people over the course of, of, of history, but they're 10 times more likely to be leaders, then women only have to kill 100 million people. <laughs> to, yeah, to so you have up. to work out their KD ratio. Yeah. <laughs> This is important statistical analysis of the, 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 yeah, the so kill with, count with, of With of war, leaders. are we the crazy ones? War is definitely... or You would say there is a strong statistical correlation between being male and starting a war or fighting yeah, or in a fighting war. or getting in a war. Is it because men have pussy envy? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm unconvinced, but I, I would say she's half right. At, Unless by pussy envy <laughs> you mean... The men are literally going to war to go and take a woman, which has happened. <laughs> then yes, mm-hmm. but in yeah. terms of like, uh, I would say that's a pretty common a pussy reason for going to war because you you look at say ISIS and their mar- their marketing materials. <laughs> so many people who ran off to Syria to join ISIS looked like they were incels and they were just doing it so they could get, get a war girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So in in that respect, not, not pussy girl. envy, but. But because men are sex maniacs, so I will concede. I'll give her half a point for that one. Yeah, sure. What about <laughs> niceness, politeness, and dignity? 
<laughs> Every man deep down. For, for, for my notes here, yeah. all I've got written is a quote. Every man deep down knows he's a worthless piece of shit. That was literally the quote I was about to read. That's the only... It's because it's such a good one. Every man deep down knows he's a worthless piece of shit. Yeah, so they... Men made... Made manners and things like that to... To hide the contempt that each man feels for all men around them and to disguise the contempt that they're terrified that all other men feel for them. Uh, and and because men don't understand emotion, they they enforce manners to make all conversation bland, to prevent outbursts of emotion. This is something actually... And also put your, put your, it's, it's put some your mind of back into the 60s A lot of it, as well, like 60s well, America. A lot of her criticism, or yeah, her criticisms of men are very not only focused on the West, but focused on America and particularly yeah. white America. Like middle class white. So America. when she talks about you know, all men That's are like right. this, all women are like this, she's very much taking a view of white, particularly Anglos in America, and then extrapolating from that how the rest of the world must behave. Because there are certain cultures which are just less emotionally inhibited than, and I say this as an Anglo man, Anglo men. <laughs> we on the whole are very emotionally repressed. I get extremely uncomfortable when someone around me so much as smiles. <laughs> I, I, I have marked on my calendar the anniversary of the one time that Jack gave me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't before like he before he left to move overseas much. for an indeterminate amount of time. He gave me a hug once, briefly, very quickly, <laughs> two seconds, touched, go. All right, I'm. T- <laughs> no, I, I I don't like touching other people, <laughs> and that's okay. So so keep in mind, she was born in thirty six, right? So she was born in thirty six. So she was growing up. Uh, throughout Second World War, so she was 13 in 1949. Then, uh, <clears throat> so let me see, uh, 1949 or something around then, uh, The Second Sex by De, De Beauvoir was published. Um, 54, The Myth of uh, Female Inferiority, um, uh, 63 or 64, The Feminine Mystique. So she's living, she's growing up and living throughout uh, this wave of massive feminist uh, critique. But also uh, she's growing up in the post-war era when like uh, basically American suburbia becomes a thing and uh, like a, a big, well, not becomes a thing, but is a huge cultural phenomena, especially for returning uh, returning veterans and then their families and all the all the the baby boomer generation basically growing up. Arguably, some people might say, like in this uh, heavily emotionally repressed <laughs> environment with like very strong gender mm-hmm. roles. Um, so that's kind of like the world that she's speaking to. Yeah, and I think in fairness. I don't know, it, like, she's kind of conspiratorial. I don't... Not kind of, she's extremely conspiratorial. Kind of conspiratorial. <laughs> uh, 
I could see what was the her... Unabomber kind of conspiratorial. <laughs> I could see her her critique of niceness and politeness and that kind of stuff in the context of the America that she's living in as valid, mm. and that's why people like War- Warhol, Warhol were so transgressive and were so uh, so important culturally because they they transgress those things. Um, However, I don't know that you can just say, well, it was some intentional thing that was put in place by men. <laughs> so I'll give it a half a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, half, maybe less than half a point. Because also she uses this example of, say, instead of saying sex, she says men have made us say copulation or sec- sexual congress mm. or to have relations with someone. And again, this is, this is very, this is very waspy. Yeah, extremely waspy. There, there, there are there are just certain cultures which are more comfortable talking about sex than others, and yeah, she seems arguably... to have looked at looked at America and gone, okay, so white Americans say this, so everyone says this. Yeah, and I, it's just not the case. Like they're, they're amazing as it may seem, there are cultures other than America. Yeah, specifically white America. Yeah, well. Specifically, like, <laughs> like all the other ethnic groups <laughs> living, living. Although she, yeah, she even just been, even just in the United States of America, she must have been. Was she Italian by background? She must have been with a name like Valerie. Salinas. I think. <laughs> or, or I think her dad Croatia, was Spanish or of Spanish descent, and I forget. I'm I'm not sure. I I very briefly looked at the Wikipedia page. Salinas on on her life, Spanish, but Spanish name? What do you reckon? Probably. So, anyways, that shows how little I know about other <laughs> other cultural names. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I will bump her up to a full point because you just got to fucking love that line. Every man deep down knows he's a worthless piece of shit. <laughs> I got to give a full point to that man. <laughs> She write her her prose is a major plus point for this. So the next point is money, marriage, prostitution, work, and the prevention of an automated society. So men are actively holding back automation, mass automation. Yeah. Because men are terrified of being replaced by machines. Yeah. Apparently women aren't terrified of that. But No. And men will get will get into money later, but men use money to reinforce their position in society. And I've got a quote here: "There is no human reason for money or for anyone to work. All non-creative jobs, practically all jobs now being done, could have been automated long ago. And in a moneyless society, everyone can have as much of the best of everything as she wants." <laughs> And look, this this is probably my nasty capitalist maleness speaking, but I don't think that in a moneyless society, everyone can have the best of everything that they want. I don't think in any society okay. you can she, have she wants. the best of everything that you want. In, in a universe with finite resources, there is a, a physical limit. Like you bump up against the laws of physics eventually <laughs> if you take that statement to the extreme. Yeah, so in this way, she is a utopian. It's a very vague utopia. 
It's basically but definitely utopian. And she she later in the well, book she says that says scum are working towards utopia. Yeah, she says explicitly yeah. it's utopian. So and and it can be achieved in a matter of years. <laughs> in fact, um, once scum will take over. Yeah. Such is female efficiency. Once they're given complete mm-hmm. control over society, so yeah. It's an she lists in this section point. the reasons why we live in a money-based society, and they're, they're all pretty good. <laughs> Number one, pussy. Her words, not mine. Because <laughs> this is just another great quote. So men use money to bribe women into sticking around and being with them. Because she says that no no healthy woman is going to spend time with a man unless they're bribed. <laughs> and she says that women, des- uh, women men desperately want to be around women <laughs> in the mystical belief that by touching gold, he'll turn into gold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she, she's got some seriously <laughs> good lines. Another good one. <laughs> yeah, touch. yeah, please, please, please. <laughs> Uh, Is this the one about the inverse Midas touch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's about fatherhood. I'll live until we get to fatherhood. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she Number- also says, um, yeah. what will liberate women, therefore, from uh, male control is the total elimination of the money work system. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where she forks off from feminists, and at least the feminists of her time, is that they talk about economic equality, right? or like equal pay or equal work or being able to work or, you know, not being discriminated against when it comes to employment or whatever. But she's just saying like, no, the issue is the money work system. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fuck the equal e- economic equality stuff. We just want to get rid of that entire system. And if we get rid of it, it's like that. I think this is a common theme across all the books we read or a, a, quite a few of them. It's, it's basically like the underpants gnome theme uh, meme out of South Park where it's like, Step one, still underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. <laughs> she goes like, <laughs> step one, get rid of the money work system. Step two, question mark. Step three, we can have everything. Well, we you can don't have profit. unlimited amounts of everything that we want. <laughs> mm. And we'll live forever. This, this is like yeah. a big gap. Big gap. <laughs> yeah. It, it just happens. She, um... Part two about why we have a money-based society is that it makes men feel useful. And I think this point, I will give her full credit for this point. I like this one. She says, supply the non-relating male with the delusion of usefulness and enable him to justify his existence by digging holes and filling them up. I think most jobs done in society, at least in the West at the moment, probably fall into that category. Things to distract people and make them feel like they're doing <laughs> Sorry, something meaningful or at least keep them tired so they don't think about their lack of meaning too much. I think that, quote, apart from saying it's only a male problem, I think plenty of women do meaningless, menial jobs as well. Yeah. I like that. I'm giving her full points for that. <laughs> this is Jack's like, anti-establishment view coming out. Yeah, no, it's a good... It, yeah. 
fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> She's also she goes into what you were saying before about how economic oh, wait. Yeah, equality sorry. between men and women won't change anything. Because she she says that women can emotionally relate, so they like leisure time because then they fill their leisure time by self-actualizing, by grooving on other women and things like that. And that rather than working boring, uncreative jobs, which they would be doing if they had economic equality with men, she says, many females would, even assuming complete economic equality between the sexes, prefer living with males or peddling their asses on the street, thus having most of their time for themselves. Yeah. So women are so fundamentally creative, they'll prostitute themselves so they can have free time to yeah. follow their passions. She says also, women would pref- uh, women prefer absorbing, emotionally satisfying, meaningful activity. And her argument is essentially that, uh, but they lack the opportunity or the ability, uh, so they often waste their time or occupy their time on bullshit mm-hmm. such as shopping. Yeah. Um, so that feeds into it as well. These are the daddy, yeah. daddy's girls that, uh, or like the board housewives that mm-hmm. are going to go and take their husband's money and spend all day down getting their fingernails done and shopping mm-hmm. down at the mall, right? I don't think she's a fan of them. I think she wants women who are magical and creative and having pure friendships without any sexual overtones, grooving on each other and yeah. being funky. <laughs> and being violent. And, 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 violent vi- is... and violently overthrowing no, she... the system, shanking yeah. people Vi- and knifing Being them. violent is very positive in her mind. <laughs> and, and, she, she says it in quite a laudatory way. And, and knifing men if they get the chance and they can get away with it. <laughs> so yeah, like shoving this... a nice pick up their ass. I just have this image in my mind of like some woman who's just like being groovy and funky and having like a nice asexual friendship. Like, I don't know, maybe go down to the discotheque and dance to some female jazz or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what funky women do. <laughs> but they get down there and then they see like a rogue male in the, in the club and they think nobody's watching us. There's no video cameras over there. This is how fucking opportunity They've got the Terminator vision. <laughs> yeah. And they pull out their shivs, right? Because, of course, they're, they're scum. So they've got, got shivs on hand at all times. And in there, they're grooving whilst they're going up to the dude. For, and they just shank him in the back, stab him a few times, and then run away. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's, that's scum. What she, that's what she's advocating. Third point. Third point as to why we need the money system. And no, Levi is not. I, <laughs> Levi is not exaggerating. That's, <laughs> that's sort of what she writes about. We have money, or men have instituted money for power and control. I don't think this is that different from her first point. Yeah, that men have have instituted the money system for pussy because they they're not good with women, so they bribe women. For the power and control, it says that men are incompetent with women, so they manipulate women with money. Um, I don't really see it, it as happen. different to point one, so I'm not going to award However, points there. However, she's just not taking into account uh, men who have financial... Who have, what is it called? The fetish? The um, financial abuse? Oh, fetish. being um, yeah, financially dominated. Fin-dom. I fin-dom. forget what they're called. <laughs> yeah. Findom, yeah. Yeah, Findom. Yeah, fin-dom. <laughs> she's not taking that into account. So the role of these men... I mean, they are perverted piece, pieces of shit who only operate through who can only operate emotionally through their sexuality so 
she's still right. However, their main mm. function in society is to go and work as much as they can so that they can get as much mm-hmm. money as they can so they can pay a woman. So they can buy their favourite e-girl a new car or something like that so that she reads their name out on a Twitch stream. <laughs> send, send, sends uh, him her, her used socks or something. <laughs> <laughs> Bathwater. So I like the next four. part, which is love substitute yeah. part four. Mm-hmm. Unable, I just like the... I think it's just really well written. It's a short one. Unable to give love or affection... The male gives money. It makes him feel motherly. The mother gives milk. He gives bread. He is the breadwinner. Yeah, that's... It's just well written. She writes well. The you mother gives milk. You can't argue he with that. He gives bread. I think to an... I'll give this half a point because I do think... I disagree with the contention that men are incapable of feeling love, but I do think... <laughs> It's quite easy in our society to fall between the cracks and reach a point where you don't really have any deep friendships with people. You don't have a romantic partner. Maybe you don't know your parents well. And all you have is work and money to give you meaning. And so you do get into this position where money exists as a meaning substitute or as she puts it a love substitute yeah. so i'll give her half a point well, i think I'll, she's I'll even go you she's touching on something with important uh, there with the reference to motherhood and she kind of like gets into fatherhood later but it's yeah also the like case it. that there are men who substitute actually just spending time with their kids with um mm-hmm. material uh spending money on whatever. Uh, and I think that does happen quite a bit uh, if uh, a dude yeah. spends... basically prioritises uh, work or the material things instead of uh, just spending time with his kids. So I think in a weird way, she's kind of right. With a lot of, with a lot of these points, she'll... She sort of she touches on real stuff. It's just it's it's just often blended in with men are emotionally mute husks who desperately want to be women. Provides the male with a goal. Yeah, that's point five. <laughs> kind of gets back I'm not to the sure how different activity, that right? is to point two. Yeah, it's just surrogate activity. Like yeah, we kind of agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. That's um it that's Unabomber. Surrogate activity. Um, They're kind of on the same page. I'll give her a that point the for Unabomber that. is a piece of shit because he's a man. So his his point of view is worthless, yeah. anyways. He was violent though, so <laughs> got to give him a bit of credit. And then six, work provides the basis for the male's major opportunity to control and manipulate fatherhood. Yeah, she doesn't like fatherhood. Which brings us to the next point that men are responsible for this particular social ill, which is fatherhood and mental illness, i.e. fear, cowardice, timidity, mm-hmm. humility, insecurity, and passivity. Yeah. So she, she views fatherhood as the maybe the main engine by which men brainwash women and turn them into daddy's girl. Yeah. And this is done through the mechanism of respect. So, so she says, mother wants what's best for her kids. Daddy only wants what's best for daddy. That is peace and quiet, pandering to his delusion of dignity, respect. 
a good reflection on himself, status, and the opportunity to control and manipulate. So, the dad doesn't love his kids. It's more he approves of them if they behave themselves. And if they don't behave themselves, modern fathers aren't violent, which would be better because then that, that stimulates hate in the daughter. Instead, they're disappointed, which emotionally cripples the daughters and makes them constantly strive to get daddy's approval. And that's what creates the daddy's girl. Yeah. She also, um, man, she's such a Freudian. Uh, you can just tell she's been reading this shit too much. Uh, if it's not obvious, I'm not a huge fan of you Freud. Don't, you don't like uh, Freud? Maybe, maybe we need... Hey, I'm looking forward to getting on some psychoanalysts on this show, man. We've we got to cover Freud. We've got to cover Orgone Man. Yeah, Freud would fit in quite well with this podcast because like most people yeah. we've read, he just says stuff and then doesn't really justify it. So this is super Freudian. Her quote, His daughter, in addition, he wants sexually. He gives her hand in marriage. The other part is for him. To which I'm quite confident in saying, <laughs> no, however, most of the time that's not however, the case. She was molested by her father. Oh, she claimed she... She claimed to have been molested by her father. Yeah. I think I'm going to take her for her word. I'll give her the benefit. I'm inclined to believe her. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm inclined to believe and, her, given that this hatred um, has to come from somewhere. She was also physically abused. Um, or she, she says that she's physically abused by her grandfather um, and maybe even her stepfather, uh, if I remember correctly. So she... This this fatherhood stuff, I think, is probably like the crux of where a lot of the hatred comes from for her. And when she says something like, "Oh, the father keeps the other part," like mm -hmm. this is probably coming from direct um, personal personal trauma. So with that in mind, I think that one of her mm -hmm. flaws in the way that she's thinking is that then there's a, there's a very specific word for it, and I have to come, I have to find it somewhere. But it's this concept of like overgeneralizing one's own personal experiences, um, and in some sense, uh, one of the things that art is uh, like art does is it takes the idiosyncratic and it makes it universal, or it sees the universal in, in idiosyncratic experiences, and that can definitely be part of what art does and part of what like social critique potentially does. However, when she does something like this, it's really hard. Like, she experienced something not every woman experiences or not every girl experiences, and it's a very extreme experience and it's traumatizing. But then to say that's, like, an inherent part of fatherhood is, like, a big, uh, well, it's just, I just don't think you can, <laughs> you, can, you can make that sort of essentialist argument. So... Yeah, she. Yeah, she's very. And I think that probably does come from Freud. Right? How many women behave? Like, there's essentially essential. <laughs> is essentialism, weird form of essentialism. Yeah, and well, the the idea that men and women are behave in categorical essentially different yeah. ways is still quite widespread today. It's not like that. That that view has disappeared. It's still. Yeah. Very healthy. I feel really sorry for her. It still very much exists. So another thing that, that men have screwed up 
suppression wait, of individuality. Is the next section. Sorry. Oh yeah, it is. Wait, one. <clears throat> one quote from uh, one of her good quotes from the fatherhood section though <laughs> is a uh, big. Okay, so the logic is you, fathers <laughs> make boys, so that's just straight off the bat, they're trash. <laughs> but also in emotionally crippling their daughters and turning them into daddy's yeah. girls, they're also more male in their. They're taking on the essential nature of, of maleness, which is passivity and subordination. So the effect of fathers in some has been to corrode the world with more maleness. The male has a negative minus touch. Everything he touches turns to shit. <laughs> that is such a good quote. That's such yeah, a good she's one. a great writer. So suppression of individuality. <laughs> Another thing that men have, men have screwed up. So basically, men have no deep-seated individuality because they can't relate to other people. She says, He has no deep-seated individuality, which stems from what intrigues you, what outside yourself absorbs you, what you're in relation to. Hence, men are completely interchangeable. Women can relate to others, and so they are true individuals. But men suppress that because they feel jealous that they can't do it. I just wrote um, in my notes <laughs> that men are like crypto tokens. They're, they're, fun, they're fungible. They're ERC-20 tokens. <laughs> they're fungible. She says, quote, the male is a mere member of the species, interchangeable with every other male. <laughs> yeah. Just, you just yeah. hot swap out men and they'll behave exactly the same. <laughs> well, the only, the only exactly way the that thoughts. men differ from other men is the degree to which they wish they were women. That is, that is the only <laughs> thing that separates the two of us, Levi. It just doesn't make any sense. She talks about how but I'm how men really want to be dominated by women and want to be ruled by women. And she calls this this ideal woman that men want to be dominated by mama with a capital M. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and mama mama will come up quite quite often. And so you've got men de- who desperately want mama, who hate women and resent them because men want to be women but can't be. And so men make women into daddy's girl, who is this controllable, pliable, desperate to please perversion of a woman. And men want to make daddy's girl into mama. This this mindless ministrator to physical needs and Solanus calls daddy's girl a hot water bottle with tits (laughs) (laughs) so men men are not not even machines they're not even animals they're mere machines they are nothing but walking dildos and daddy's girls are Eager to please, hot water bottles with tits. Yep. Yep. So that's basically her simplification. And then all the women that she likes who are conceited, thrill-seeking, fun-loving, yeah. groovy, arrogant, murderous bitches. Yeah. Uh, those, those, those women are all, all of All of those were actual quotes too. That Levi's not making that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not being rude when she calls them bitches. That's how she. That's the word that she uses. Murderous, and she likes that they're violent and murderous. She does like. She does <laughs> like violence. She really likes violence. <laughs> she, she, she she acted it out in the world. Yeah, she, she shot two people and tried to shoot a third. How about prevention of privacy? Did we you, now know did you why. Read that she actually tried when she tried to shoot the other guy, the third guy. So basically, she shot Warhol. She shot an, another guy who's like an art critic, and then the third guy she tried to shoot, but her gun jammed. But what I read, at least, I mean, it's just on Wikipedia, so I don't know. I haven't verified this, but apparently, she was trying to shoot him in the head, <laughs> and so I was. I was kind of surprised that she only got three years because that should have been like, oh, so you that full blown well one, it was attempted murder in the first place. I'm surprised that she only mm. got three years for attempted murder. <laughs> yeah, the, the head is a very sensitive. And then the area executioner skull. Yeah, yeah, the the en- executioner style. Like, I'm gonna blow your brains out. Literally, oh, oh my gun jammed. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. complete it. Not because I didn't want to though. It does suggest intent. <laughs> so, you don't tend to do that unless you really want to kill someone. All right, should we move on to the prevention of privacy? Yeah. And I've got a quote here that pretty much sums up her entire point regarding privacy. Being empty, not being a complete separate being, having no self to groove on and needing to be in constant female company, he sees nothing at all wrong in intruding himself on any woman's thoughts, even a total stranger's, anywhere at any time, but rather feels indignant and insulted when put down for doing so, as well as confused. He can't for the life of him understand why anyone would prefer so much as one minute of solitude to the company of any creep around. I'm willing to grant some points for this this section because <laughs> I don't think it's a universal characteristic, but I definitely know a lot of guys who just assume that everyone, and particularly women, want to know their point of view on whatever and will just barge into any conversation to start holding court, to start pontificating. And are quite seem quite affronted when not every single woman on earth desperately wants to hear them talk about whatever bullshit they they're interested in at that moment. I, I will concede. Do you know? Do you know, some do you know men like that, Jack? <laughs> Who, whoever would you be speaking? <laughs> well, we're letting those impulses out on a podcast, so not us. Yeah, we're trying to channel that into. Into the uh, Australian Czech division of the scum auxiliary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the next bit was interesting, which was men are responsible for isolation, suburbs, and prevention of community. So I mentioned earlier that the feminine mistake was published in '64 or something like that, '63, '64. And so she self-published Scum Manifesto '67, and then shot Warhol in '68. So quite a CV. The feminine mistake, <laughs> a big a big part of the feminine mistake was a takedown of suburbia and the housewife mm-hmm. kind of archetype. So she, I think this is a big part of her point of view. Is an important part. 
But the reason why I particularly like why I particularly like this subsection is because she doesn't just stop at the, at the, at the suburbia critique. Is this she the hippies bit? <laughs> She, she she fucking, fucking hates, hates hippies. hippies. <laughs> and I this kind of came out of left field. I was like not expecting this. <laughs> it's the bit where the first time she mentions hippies, she has bracketed out. He's far out, man. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, if, so if, essentially if I were to recommend this book to anyone, it would be for the writing style. Yeah, yeah. In the case of the hippie, he's far out, man. <laughs> all the way down, all the way out to the cow pasture where he can fuck and breed undisturbed and mess around with his beads and flute. <laughs> <laughs> how, how she talks about that, she says that hippies are still men. They're still absolute trash. All that's different yeah, with them is trash. that they, they want to be, yeah, they want to be somewhere undisturbed. Where they've got access to free pussy, which is the the rationale for free love, and they can spend their time like braiding their beards or bead making or something like that. It's um, there's <laughs> the hippie is enticed to the commune mainly by the prospect of all the free pussy, the main commodity to be shared to be had for the asking, but blinded by greed, he fails to anticipate all the other men he has to share pussy with. <laughs> or the jealous the jealousies and possessiveness of the pussies themselves. And so the conclusion of the paragraph is so fucking good. She says the male cannot progress socially but merely swings back and forth from isolation to gang banging. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's fundamentally why hippie communes cannot work is she says, men cannot cooperate to achieve a common goal because each man's end is all the pussy for himself. <laughs> the commune, therefore, is doomed to failure. Each hippie will, in panic, grab the first simpleton who digs him and whisk her off to the suburbs. <laughs> 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 so, I don't give a shit how true or not that is. I give this section full points. That is, so I give it above good. full points. It's, it, it's so I mean, good. If for no other reason than just like, it is just a vicious lashing. <laughs> like, and so okay, so savage. FYI, I I come from a family of hippies. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least I there's some strong hippie influences in my family, man. And and um and I gotta say, man, a diagnosis <laughs> of hippie communes in uh, in my experience hearing from family stories is pretty fucking spot on. There's a lot of gang banging and there's a, there's a lot of jealous pussy running around and the consequence was a retreat back to the suburbs. <laughs> uh yeah that that section was <laughs> up the north nimbin shout out shout out to nimbin <laughs> shout, shout out to the north the north coast and the mid north coast of new south wales <laughs> it's so much weed so much hippie commune <laughs> the next bit the next bit's on conformity so 
men all need to, to men all have this fundamental need to prove that they're the same as other men. That is to say, to prove that they're a man and not gay. Um, that's that's yeah. kind of the the contention <laughs> of this part. Men men want to demonstrate that they're not gay, so they all behave the same way. Yeah, she does actually have a um. She has a quote, another quote about drag queens, which, as you were saying earlier, with drag queens. The way she talks about them, I got the impression that were she alive today, she would identify trans people as drag queens as well because of the way she talks about them. She talks about them as men who are trying to be women. And I should make clear, that is not possible according to Solanus. Like, you are are one (laughs) or the other. It's essentialist. Yeah, she she is an essentialist. She says... Of drag queens, not completely convinced that he's a woman, highly insecure about being sufficiently female, he conforms compulsively to the man-made feminine stereotype, ending up as nothing but a bundle of stilted mannerisms. So she, uh, I think she she would definitely be considered a turf. Yeah, like <laughs> she'd be proud she'd be with, turf. Uh, yeah, with Jay with uh, JK. So, um, I don't think there's much more to say about conformity. She didn't really go into it much more apart from saying that trans people don't exist and men imitate other men so they don't look gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Levi and I are going are gonna to skip over a bunch of these these subsections because they all start blending together after a while it's basically men want to be women and hate other men and so do bad things yeah essentially there is one she has an interesting view on conversation and friendship Mm. just before that though there was one quote about the meaning of life that took me by surprise and i'm not sure if she's being sincere or not she says a woman not only takes her identity and individuality for granted but knows instinctively that the only wrong is to hurt others and that the meaning of life is love. That took me by surprise because she then goes on to talk about how you need to, you need to kill men. Well, okay, no, Jack, you male turd piece of shit. Stop right there. Yeah, I'm stopping. You, you do not know what love is. You are incapable of knowing what love is. How can you say for one goddamn second that she, like, what she's saying and what she does is inconsistent? She knows what love is. She knows what pure asexual female to female love is. That's the only true type of love. You're not capable of experiencing that. So you don't know. I guess, I guess she yourself. didn't explicitly define love. So it's probably something different to what I think it is. <laughs> No, she does explicitly define love. Oh no, does she? Uh, no. Does she explicitly define... She certainly defines the conditions under which love can occur. But does she actually define love? No, I guess not. She just says you can't love if it's sexual. And it needs to be genuine female. Yeah, I thought it was, you no, need genuine not. friendship, which requires no money system and you to be scum. 
but I don't think she actually says what love itself is. Anyway. So, men also prevent conversation. <laughs> yep. Obviously. Essentially, I mean, it's kind of related to the niceness and politeness stuff and ingraining daddy's girls with a sense of respect and dignity and all this stuff. But essentially, <laughs> uh what she wants is intensity and wit, um, like the ability to be like arrogant, proud, tough-minded, free-willing, self-confident, all these sorts of things, and that's repressed by uh, men and maleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She also talks about art in a section that I really enjoyed, how... Like men are totally self-centered, physical, can't relate, can't emote, and because of this, they create art that is fundamentally male. That is to say, intentionally obscure, employing sim symbolism and things like that to try to disguise the fact that they have nothing to say. And yeah, <laughs> they call it great art. Capital G, capital A, which is boring and stupid, but everyone has convinced themselves that it's worthwhile because everyone else says it's worthwhile because men fundamentally all imitate each other because they don't want to look gay. And she, <laughs> she says, like the aesthete appreciating the blob that's labelled great art, she believes she's grooving on what bores the shit out of her. I liked this section and I agree with... At least that a lot, a lot of quote-unquote great art, I think everyone deep down knows is boring and shit, but no one wants to look like an idiot and say that they don't like it because it'll look like they don't get it, that they're not deep enough. <laughs> that they're not cultured. Yeah, they're not cultured. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. This culture's far out, man. Can't go down to the <laughs> opera, man. <laughs> but I don't want everybody to think that I'm gay, man. I just want to have a gangbang. <laughs> so, um, oh, and then, so the next bit's on preventing friendship and love. We've kind of discussed that indirectly. So love is not dependency or sex, yeah, but friendship. And therefore, love can't exist between two males, between a male and a female, or between two females, one or both of whom is a mindless, insecure, pandering male. Bang. <laughs> in the essential sense. <laughs> like conversation, love can exist only between two secure, freewheeling, independent, groovy female females, <laughs> since friendship is based on respect, not contempt. So I do think that she just means friendship is love. So mm. when she says the meaning of life is love, you could potentially just do a straight substitution. The meaning of life is friendship. Female to female friendship. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. And as as so we mentioned gay. earlier, totally excludes gay guys. They're not... <laughs> doesn't exist. Does <laughs> Just, not exist. Don't exist. Sorry, guys. So I'm I, what I'm picking up here is that she's kind of like Bronze Age pervert. <laughs> mm. In that Bronze Age pervert is all about having pirate friends. <laughs> yeah. Only male, male, private... Pirate friends who can have a bond through doing heroic violent acts like yeah. taking over island nations. <laughs> Women can have strong female-female bonds, pure love and friendship, 
and good conversations as long as they're free-willing and arrogant. <laughs> yeah. And as long as they shift people and overthrow the system. So there are maybe... Oh, well, she's not alive anymore. I was really looking forward to a Bronze Age pervert Valerie Solanus crossover. <laughs> oh, and at the end of this section, she says, having stripped the world of conversation, friendship, and love, the male offers us these paltry substitutes, one of which was great art and culture, like Jack was saying, which was probably one of the best sections of the book. On great art and culture, I found, I found an excellent quote describing great art and culture. So she says... The vast majority of people, particularly the educated ones, lacking faith in their own judgment, humble, respectful of authority, daddy knows best, is translated into adult language as critic knows best, writer knows best, PhD knows best, are easily conned into believing that obscurity, evasiveness, incomprehensibility, indirectness, ambiguity and boredom are marks of depth and brilliance. I'd, I agree with that. It's such a good quote. That is so, so spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... um, she Okay, so it's interesting because she has these critiques of what you could essentially think of as like bourgeois uh, conceit, which is <laughs> faffy wankiness, right? <laughs> um, and especially people like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, wrote, I, I read such and such a philosopher and uh, went to such and such a play or whatever <laughs> and using complex languages, just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Um, but she, she, <laughs> she, then, she then turns it into this like weird male-female thing. Mm-hmm. And the last bit of it, she, she writes... Um, a male artist is a contradiction in terms. A degenerate can only produce degenerate, quote-unquote, art. Yeah. The true artist is every self-confident, healthy female and is a female. And in a female society, the only art, the only culture, will be conceited, kooky, funky females grooving on each other and on everything else in the universe. You could just hear the 60s in that... In that- Part <laughs> grooving on the universe. Just grooving on the universe. <laughs> are you? Are you? Um, is it cold where you are, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> it it, it is windy here. Freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> hence, hence why we're, oh, I've got a blanket on. So, what else does she have? She's got this bit on sexuality. How sex is solitary, physical, it's non-creative, total waste of time. And... Yeah. Animalistic. Yeah. And that men con women into being sex maniacs so that men can get all that pussy. But real women are above sex. They transcend sex by having so much sex and turning sex from sex to fucking. Mm. That... Yeah. They... I don't know, they, they just get sick of it and they're not into it anymore and that makes you a real woman. She she then offers yeah, a description of a real woman. you fuck everything under the sun. She offers a description of a real woman, sun, which is really good. It's hateful, yeah, violent bitches giving you slamming those who unduly irritate them in the teeth, who'd sink a shiv into a man's chest or ram an ice pick up his asshole as soon as look at him. Yeah. It's fucking great. Is that the same paragraph where um, 
Yeah, this is when she actually says, "If they knew that, uh, uh, stick an uh, stick an ice pick up his asshole as soon as they look as soon as look at him. If they knew they could get away with it. In short, those who, by the standards of our culture, are scum." And that's where she introduces yeah. scum. <laughs> These females are cool and relatively cerebral and skirting asexuality. <laughs> yeah. How about the disease and death section? Because I reckon that's worth spending a bit of time on. Because this this is a pretty important part in her scum utopia. The overcoming of disease and death. So she says at the start of this section, All diseases are curable, and the ageing process and death are due to disease. It is possible, therefore, yep. never to age and to live forever. Okay. We're, okay, let's start off. Fine, it's an engineering problem. Yeah. We just got to do the research. Yeah. Cool. Step one. We're coming along with you, Valerie, on this wild ride. Step two, Jack. We already probably can solve death and disease, but she offers seven reasons why we haven't already, why we're not living forever. Well, when I say we, I mean women. You and I would not live forever. Yeah. One. Scum. Male scientists are scared of biology because it shows female superiority, so they don't go into it. Um, yep. I don't know. When I worked in biological research, granted it was on viruses, but there were, <laughs> there, there, there were men in there. So men. So you were studying men then. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The y- you were studying the Y chromosome. The Y chromosome. Virology. <laughs> So two, <laughs> higher education makes science boring, expensive and time-consuming, and this drives people away. Um, yeah. That actually checks out. Yeah, I think it makes it more... I think probably the main thing it does is it crushes the creativity in it or for a really long time discourages any sort of creativity. Then when you start working as a scientist where you need to be creative, it's like you need to turn it on all yeah. of a sudden again. and. A lot of yeah. people find that really hard to just turn it off and then start it again. After like seven years of, yeah. of specialized training. Yeah. <laughs> Three, male professionals will spread propaganda to stop other people being able to understand abstract scientific concepts so that they can, they can protect their status position in society. In yeah, science, there I are definitely a lot of status games. I think... Most of it is poor communication because being a really, really good science communicator and being a really good researcher are two different things. And to be both at that's a fair point. to be one of those things is difficult. To be both is is uncommon. Like most most scientists yeah. are very good at talking to other experts in the field about what yeah, they're so experts there's in. There's a specialized language yeah. and jargon and the gap between that and being able to communicate that to others outside of your field. Mm. But I could see how uh, that could be misconstrued as intentionally being um, obscurantist. Yeah. Or like intentionally uh, trying to shroud your otherwise understandable research in complex language just to like protect yourself. That could be misconstrued and maybe it does happen, but it's probably more just like these are specialists. Yeah. It's probably more, it's, it's really hard to be a good science communicator. And people who are really good at it, I have a lot of respect for. Four, yeah. female lack of self-confidence stops many of them from becoming scientists. I, I think there is definitely truth to that. 
Yeah. And you know why some of these uh, programs around like um, women in STEM and stuff have been uh, given a lot of focus in the last like 10 years. They read the scum out of Vesto and then like we need <laughs> turned it around. <laughs> more women into leadership position, women in STEM. Girls girls code. <laughs> like point four, disease and death. <laughs> Valerie. We need more women in STEM. This next bit, point five, lack of automation, I quite liked. Um for all those machine learning enthusiasts out there, those data scientists, this one's for you. So there's a quote. There now exists a wealth of data which, if sorted out and correlated, would reveal the cure for cancer and several other diseases, and possibly the key to life itself. And you, the only way to interrogate these data would be with very powerful computers, and that will not happen because men are terrified of being replaced by machines. I'm not sure what she would think yeah. of life in 2022, where... We are all about training those machine learning models. <laughs> That's literally what we do. It's uh, like, how can we train yeah. the computers to do this? Gradient descent must have passed her by. Point six, <laughs> money. Self-explanatory. Fucks yeah. everything up. And point seven is maybe my favorite. Men, love, men like death because it excites them sexually. She says... <laughs> Already dead inside, he wants to die. Yeah, it's this kind of like weird autoerotic necrophilia. It's just Freud. <laughs> it's just she read too much Freud and it addled her brain Freud because once. Freud does that if you take him too seriously. So, she now goes on to what society should be and how we're going to get there. This section is really fun. Wait, 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 wait. Can I? Good night. <laughs> she's got. Uh, she's got this um, quote. Let me know if this isn't in 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 line with the section. But after she lists all the death and disease stuff, and then she says like men are not capable of positive states, right? Yada yada yada. Um. She says the male is, by his very nature, a leech, an emotional parasite, and therefore not ethically entitled to live, as no one has the right to live at someone else's expense. Just as humans have a prior right to exist over dogs by virtue of being more highly evolved and having a superior consciousness, so women have a prior right to existence over men. The elimination of any male is therefore a righteous and good act, and an act highly beneficial to women as well as an act of mercy. That leads us into this next, next section perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if, if you hadn't worked it out yet, women are biologically superior to men. and Innately, inherently. Yeah. So she, she's, she's quite anti-egalitarian. She, there, there is a, a definite innate hierarchy to human beings. And... Which is why she's not a feminist. Or oh, why you could argue that she's not a feminist because she's not egalitarian or about equal rights. No, she's strongly anti-egalitarian. <laughs> no, she's anti-anti-anti. <laughs> and so, so basically, she wants a society without men. And she sets out this plan to get to this society without men. And of course, you, you will kill quite a lot of men. Like, you, you, you'll murder them in all sorts of different ways. But... She's quite happy that men are already in decline. She said if, if women stopped cooperating, 
And even if they didn't go and kill too many men, men are still in decline fundamentally, so there will be a point where there are no men. The the point is, though, that scum are impatient and they want to get to this this state without men more quickly. Some of the ways that men are dying out, they're, they're getting addicted to drugs, they're killing each other in wars, they're killing themselves, they're becoming gay. She she. I feel like almost every book we have read has something to say about homosexuality. Who Terence wasn't anti Terence wasn't a homophobe. I don't think No. I don't think Kaczynski really was a homophobe. But apart from that Yeah, look, homophobia is definitely a reoccur it it has a high yeah. prevalence. And least. specifically anti gay, because a few a few books we've read have been okay with two women. But look, I'm sorry to say, if you're gonna get into extremist political texts, there is a lot of homophobia. Apparently, it is a very, very popular a lot of subject. Homophobia. There's probably going to be some anti-Semitism. There's probably going to be some racism. There may be calls to violent action against people you don't like. Yeah. Probably. There may be male bombings or stabbings. Mm. How are we going to... So, first of all, maybe, what's this this utopia going to look like? This this male-free utopia. Just women, of course, and they're all going to be groovy women. They're all going to be funky. They're all going to be... Violent, conceited, arrogant, thrill-seeking bitches. <laughs> men, men will all be dead. There will be no aging, no disease, no death, which which means there'll be no need for having children. So you're not even going to need a sperm bank. You're not going to need to freeze sperm. Like scroties are gone. No, yeah, they're gone. So she says specifically lab- laboratory production of babies. Yeah. Yeah. And you, of course, like, you just select the female ones. And she, she, she says that in the same way that it would be cruel to make a blind baby intentionally, it would also be cruel to make a male baby because males are just deficient when compared Emotional to females. Prickles. They're degenerate. Yeah. Yeah. So how do yeah, we get there? <laughs> how do we get there? Well, first, you got to understand this was one of the most important event. You know, in the in the long arc of human history, the invention of the pill might go down as one of the big watershed moments in human history. Um, and just FYI, if I've got my notes correct, the pill was first approved by the FDA in 1960 and by 1965 in America was being used by an estimated 5 million people. But it faced strong conservative backlash and was banned in 30 states in America. So that's the historical context or part of the historical context for what she's writing. So this new thing's come along. It's enabled women to escape or to have more optionality about motherhood um, and control over their own body. And then she she's basically saying like, okay, step one, we need the pill. Now you can not have babies. How good is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of the, the female takeover will be led by a vanguard 
of scum. She says, A small handful of scum can take over the country within a year by systematically fucking up the system, selectively destroying property and murder. She, um, so, regarding, regarding fucking stuff up, she says that scum should become the unworkforce or the fuck-up force. And examples of this. So, scum women are going to get jobs and not do them properly. So, say, yeah, sales girls won't charge for merchandise. Office workers won't work, will secretly destroy equipment. They'll forcibly relieve bus and cab drivers and give people rides for free. So, uh... I guess so. They'll destroy yeah. all useless or harmful objects. Things like cars, <laughs> store windows, and great art. <laughs> so go to town on the Guggenheim. And, and I love what she says. Scum will unwork at a job until they get fired and then get a new job to unwork at. It's <laughs> like on this merry-go-round of just like fucking everything yeah. up. And then it's they'll have like the couple-busting brigade. She says, scum will couple-bust. <laughs> Barge into mixed male-female couples wherever they are and bust them up. <laughs> bust them up. Get out of here. Stop it. <laughs> and then, so Levi brought up the concept of the male auxiliary of scum earlier. And all men who aren't part of the male auxiliary will be murdered. Uh, that, that's it. Just kill them. Do you want to... <laughs> Since since you fought brought you first brought up the male auxiliary, what is it? Uh, the male auxiliary are those men who are working diligently to eliminate themselves. Men who, regardless of their motives, do good. Men who are playing ball with scum. So basically, she she sort of talks about okay, here's some criteria which you might be a, a good dude. Um, so, for example, disseminating and prom- promoting the ideas that will elite- lead to the achievement of Scum's goals. Um, she says, faggots who, by their shimmering, glamouring example, encourage other men to demand themselves and thereby make themselves relatively inoffensive. <laughs> and she has a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. She's like, here's some good things that you can do to get on the, yeah. the Scum Auxiliary. Well, the first one she, she cites you- is men who kill men. Yeah, men who kill men or who want to kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and you sort of like look at on about maybe you do some shitty things, some like um, anti-scum stuff, maybe do some scum stuff. And then there'll be a subjective appraisal of you, presumably by, I don't know, the scum congress or something. And they'll look, okay, net net, are you doing the good work of the scum or are you not? If you're not, we're going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's also, so there are the turd sessions that will have to happen with men. The thing that Levi and I brought up earlier. And I really liked the reward for turd sessions is that any male taking part gets to spend an hour with scum women afterwards, which is a tempting goal. In in the present. Asexual presence yeah. of scum women. Well, yeah, of yeah. course. And then she's got... So it's... She's got so like be, being part of the male auxiliary is is necessary but not sufficient to survive the male holocaust. And she's got this list <laughs> of men who will definitely be killed. And I'll read out all of it because it gets really specific. 
And it says a lot about her worldview, the the men who will be the so obligatory. This, these are the evils cool. that you have to avoid. So the first one, rapists. You can see why that is a man who will be killed. Politicians and their associates, bad musicians. <laughs> it's just straight to rapists and politicians. Rapists, politicians, bad shit. musicians. <laughs> Chairman of boards, breadwinners, landlords, owners of restaurants that play music. Great artists, cheap pikers, cops, tycoons, scientists working on death and destruction programs or in the private sector, liars and phonies, (laughs) DJs, men who intrude upon any strange female, real estate agents, stockbrokers, men who speak when they have nothing to say, men who loiter (laughs) on the street and mar the landscape, Double dealers, flim-flam artists, litterbugs, plagiarizers, men who harm women in any way, advertisers, journalists, censors, and all members of the armed forces. Psychiatrists, clinical psychologists. And pilots. Yeah, she really doesn't like pilots because she said... So, remember, this is during the Cold War. She said that if... If nuclear war is ordered, it's not going to be, say, a politician dropping the bomb. It will be a pilot. Which, I mean, you know, maybe. They also had intercontinental um, ballistic missiles for that. But she, she really didn't like pilots. So then she goes on to say that we're not going to get uh, rid of the... We're not just going to get rid of the women who are doing shitty male things because we need them. Mm-hmm. They need to, like, spread spread uh, public awareness and so they're not going to be killed necessarily Um, and she believes that all women have a fink street in them to a greater or lesser degree Uh, but it stems from a lifetime of living amongst men eliminate men and women will shape up so basically keep the women around even if they're doing shitty male things at the moment yeah but then she has this really lovely line (laughs) or like a couple of lines (laughs) She says, simultaneously with the fucking up, looting, couple busting, destroying, and killing, scum will recruit. Scum then will consist of recruiters, the elite core, the core, the hardcore activists, the fuck uppers, looters, and destroyers, and the elite of the elite, the killers. (laughs) (laughs) Then to top it all off, dropping out is not the answer. Fucking up is. (laughs) Yeah. And she talks about how, so they're not going to protest or demonstrate or anything like that because that's just for daddy's girl who wants to get beaten up and dominated by police officers. And they'll always criminally disobey, not civilly disobey, because civil disobedience, again, is for for daddy's girl who doesn't want to change anything. She says... Who wants to get dominated by men in courts. Here's, here's another line of her, her sharp tongue. She says, If scum ever marches, it will be over the president's stupid, sickening face. If scum ever strikes, it will be in the dark with a six-inch blade. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, God. So this oh, is... Damn. It really is her writing style that kept me enjoying this because what she writes is so deeply hateful. The, the content yeah. is not something I can really enjoy, but how it's written is... Is very fun. Also, yeah. that they're, they're not going to have any rights because scum are not indiscriminate. Um, 
scum yeah. are very, very they're targeted, in selective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what? Where is the end point for you know, the fuck up brigades and things like that? It's really once the money system collapses and complete automation is instituted, that's when scum won't need to be violent anymore because without money and when everything is automated, men will be so totally powerless that the the men surviving the initial scum purges will spend the rest of their days just as burnouts and eventually die. Yeah. She does say it will only take a few weeks of millions working towards full automation to achieve full automation. Because without the money system, everyone's going to be really happy to pitch in. Yeah. Um, like, I'm, I'm not sure. It's probably because I'm a man. I think humans are too greedy. But I'm just not sure that if you tell people there's no money anymore, they'll just start working for free <laughs> without asking for anything in return. <laughs> Cooperatively. Yeah, but you're not taking into account that you've got to kill all the men first. Yeah. Which presumably will also be done for free. Yeah. So it's not as if you could ever verify this, Jack. Yeah. Because you'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but trust me, it'll happen. She also has the thing about how so the, the government's going to collapse and will become unnecessary really quickly. Because with automation... <laughs> women can just vote on everything using their effectively just an electronic voting system from home but they're not going to have to so do that for very phone. long because governments are male institutions and they really only exist to regulate the economy without money apparently the economy doesn't exist even though i think you will have an economy it's just not a money-based one and <laughs> governments also exist that, to Jack. impose <laughs> morality upon individuals and because groovy women aren't about that shit that's that's not happening either. So the the government's just going to be completely irrelevant. Money will be irrelevant. Uh, and I, I don't have the quote, but doesn't she basically just say like people will essentially just spontaneously cooperate? Yeah. Or it's and, quite it's, and just get along and just it's do quite stuff. anarchist in a lot of ways. This belief that humans are fundamentally extremely cooperative, and if you just eliminate arbitrary power structures like governments then people will will cooperate in a harmonious way in a groovy funky in a groovy and funky way um, thrill seeking way <laughs> you do question how that would happen given that the women who are being selected for are ones that she talks about as being violent thrill seeking impulsive aggressive yeah, how they yeah, will yeah. spontaneously form a harmonious <laughs> social order. It sounds like you've selected for <laughs> the least qualified people to to yeah, exist the, harmoniously without a central authority. But the, it's kind of most work. disagreeable. Yeah, the most disagreeable women. It's like when you read Mussolini says you you've just got to go with it. Same here. You just got to go with it. We don't have too <laughs> much left. Says, many, many women will for a while continue to think they dig men, like after the yeah. after the scum take power. But as they become accustomed to female society and as they become absorbed in their projects, they will eventually come to see the utter uselessness and banality of the male. So eventually, women will just the ones who weren't on board with scum in the first place, they'll eventually get used to it and they'll say, "Oh no, like the men sucked anyways." Yeah, and then they'll all live harmoniously. 
And she says that the few men left will be on drugs, in drag, or spending all of their time passively watching women. She talks about how, because women are really compassionate, the few men left will be allowed to electronically watch any woman of their choosing all the time. So you sort of have an e-girl, except everyone's an e-girl. And then there will be suicide centres set up where any man can go and be came, uh, painlessly yeah. gassed to death yeah. when, when they get sick of it. Yeah. How about to, to end this and then we can get on to talking about our final thoughts and wrapping up. I give the last section of the book as a quote because it's the just... Last paragraph. Yeah, it's the last really, paragraph. It's really, really fucking good. <laughs> so... The sick, irrational men, those who attempt to defend themselves against their disgustingness, when they see scum barreling down on them, will cling in terror to Big Mama with her big bouncy boobies. But boobies won't protect them against scum. Big Mama will be clinging to Big Daddy, who will be in the corner shitting in his forceful, dynamic pants. Men who are rational, however, won't kick or struggle or raise a distressing fuss but will just sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and ride the waves to their demise. <laughs> Damn. She starts and finishes strong. She, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very snappily written book. Like, she's a... Oh, damn. I think that in, yeah, in a different world... Like, okay, on the one hand, she actually did have a huge impact on the culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> arguably, um, or relatively speaking, for how for what she produced um, and how long she lived. Um, but in another life or in another universe, she's such a good writer. She, you know, she could have actually gone on and done some some really like amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. But she is a really sick person. Like, I mean that not as an insult. I think she was like probably mentally ill. Yeah, traumatized. I believe when she was Ill. tried, she was, she was, um, she was hosp- She when she served her sentence, she served it in a psychiatric ward, not, not in a mainstream detention. So. Yeah. Look, reading reading this work, you get the impression that this was a deeply unhappy person who was very angry at the world. Yeah. So how did you enjoy it? Or did you enjoy it? Uh, enjoy, presumptuous question. Enjoy is a strong word. So, yeah, it was interesting because it's kind of like Vogue in that the hate, the hatefulness, mm-hmm. just like line after line yeah. of the venom does wear on you. Or it, yeah. it wore on me. Me too. Um but luckily, her saving grace, other than it being short, is that she she's actually quite a good writer. And every now and then, she'll have these like just these just amazing lines, which are just so <laughs> so so vile and so potent with their fury and their and their hatred mm-hmm. and their loathing that you, it projects forward fifty years and just punches me in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> like, <"Whoa." laughs> this is a pure takedown. Um, so yeah, I got to give her credit for that, and that was entertaining. And every now and then, I would laugh out loud or just like, <laughs> just be taken aback by how how witty or um, how sharp it was. So 
in that way, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? I feel pretty similarly to you. So the like the core of this book is hatred. It is a fundamentally hateful piece of work, which like that just fundamentally I can't really enjoy something that is at its core yeah. of hate. But it's short and it's she she's really funny. She can yeah. she can be really witty and really, really funny. So that very talented writer. That made it better. I wouldn't say ultimately I like or I would recommend this, but it's well written. She wrote other things. She wrote a play called she wrote Up one Your Eyes. That, would, and that I think, might be worth reading. I think just... some short stories. And I wonder whether those would be worth looking at because she's a good writer. But I believe they are also all about similar things to the Scum Manifesto, about how men are awful and we should kill them. Yeah, I believe in Up Your Ass, she actually does kill a man. <laughs> the main character does kill a man. Um, so, would you say to listeners that they should read it? No, probably not. Not worth it. I would say, look, you... The quotes we've shot, the quotes we've read out give an idea or a taste of her writing style, which is the, the, the fun bit of this and what is worth looking at. But yeah, I think reading some quotes to get a feel for how she writes is probably worthwhile. Would I recommend you spend the time to read the whole book? No. No. Because it ultimately. It doesn't really tell you anything particularly interesting. It's very much form over substance. In, in its form, yeah. in how it's written, it's really fun. In its substance, it is very, very focused on the Western white middle class experience. And she generalizes from that, oh, well, the whole world must feel this way. So I don't think it generalizes well. I think... Many of the conclusions she draws are wrong. She never really justifies many no. of her beliefs. Or if, if, as, as you said earlier, if you don't already agree, then you're not really going to be convinced. Yeah. So it, it's actually sort of nothing new, just in very, very shiny packaging. Yeah. My caveat to that would be if you are interested in pop culture, I suppose, and and through an interest in Andy Warhol, maybe if you wanted to understand pop culture and or Andy Warhol a little bit more, or if you're interested in radical feminism per se, um, then obviously in those particular contexts. But outside of that, it's not... And even... Even from the point of view of like understanding feminism, uh, I don't like of all the feminist texts you could read. <laughs> I don't see in in your life. Say you're only going to read say X number of feminist texts, and you're not in the field. Um, I don't see why you would prioritize Scum Manifesto over all the other um, worthwhile texts to read. 
though. Yeah. No. I I'm not sure why you would. Except with those caveats. For me, I, so, I view this sort of like I view Varg in that it's it's a diatribe against a certain group of people that she wants to exterminate. Yeah. And I mean, it's so... and I don't think Varg, say, was ever attacked by Jewish people. Whereas she was apparently sexually assaulted by her father. So that's something, you know, that that makes it more understandable why she hates men so much as opposed to why Varg hates Jews so much. But still, like, it's... It's yeah. it's still not something I would recommend you spend your time reading. I'd probably I'd probably give it a I also get I'd probably give it a three and a half out of ten on our pretty mm. arbitrary scale that I'm I'm still not totally no, sure yeah. what we're rating. But There's nothing. it is <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it, it is meaningless. But so I, I give it it's fundamentally hateful and not very convincing. But I rate it above Varg Smile because it is shorter and way better written. Yeah. I get I yeah. I guess both with Varg Smile and with this, these these people oh, you can even say that about Kaczynski, like in a way like these people are writing in um I don't know. I don't I don't wanna like make excuses for the behaviour of people or whatever, but uh Maybe for some reason with um, Scum Manifesto in particular, I just uh, kind of get a sense of just a lot of distress coming from Valerie Solanus, um, reading about her life, um, reading about after her sen- she served her sentence and she kind of disappeared into obscurity. I have a feeling, well, my sense is that she's a really quite a deeply disturbed person who otherwise was arguably really probably really talented or you know potentially had a had a lot of potential so i actually feel really more than varg and more than say kaczynski or whatever mm. um i've i've i found myself feeling like really quite sad and sorry for her mm. i don't know i could i think you could make a similar argument for kaczynski in the way that he, he i was about it. to say um exactly that yeah. it your description of extremely talented and deeply disturbed also applies to ted kaczynski yeah and this is this is the interesting thing about like psychiatric issues or extreme psychiatric issues because there were claims made against Kaczynski about having sort of like paranoid schizophrenia, claims made against Solanus for having paranoid schizophrenia, um, that uh, basically like okay, say so they have these points of view, but then the thing is um, they then go over the line from having points of views to acting on them violently, Kaczynski's case being much more, I would say, worse than Solanus's, yeah. obviously. And yeah, much more thought through. For a decade. And much more thought through, whereas uh, Solanus was probably more erratic, I imagine, um, from reading about her. Uh, so, you know, th- there's plenty of, you know, the vast majority of people with, like, schizoid, disorders right don't <laughs> don't don't shoot people or whatever um and maybe you could say some some comment on the stuff in america about gun control but i i don't know like how do i put this like where do you draw the line 
with personal responsibility mm-hmm. and psychiatric disorders. Like this person has written this like horribly hateful piece of writing. She's clearly got some issues. Um, she's got some serious trauma and then she's acted in this really violent way. I suppose she didn't serve a huge sentence. She served it mainly in a psychiatric ward. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, to me, it raises some weird questions. I don't know. It is interesting. And with the mental illness thing, it does. it is very common that if someone has ideas that are against the mainstream or does something against the mainstream, they are dismissed as being mentally ill. It's, it's pretty typical that... As soon as in anyone fact, is in the DSM, inconvenient, they, the it, it suddenly comes out that they're a, a paranoid schizophrenic or something like that. So it, yeah. I'm always slightly hesitant to ascribe people's weirdness to mental illness, particularly if it's a because it's such a popular narrative to dismiss people. But yeah. in Solanus's yeah, case, yeah. I think it, when you read this, she was clearly dealing with some pretty bad stuff yeah yeah so anyways i i probably give it a a four yeah probably no uh yeah probably a four definitely much lower than terry yeah um (laughs) terry didn't terry wrote just got these one-liners every now and then they're just so cracking though yeah terry terry wrote much worse than she did but he also didn't call for genocide so he gets a lot of points for that yeah yeah, by the standards um, of this podcast, on... <laughs> not calling for mass violence nets you some real points. Have you um? Have you now that we've read a number of texts and we're halfway through Evola, so we've got to record the second half of Evola. So what's that? That's like eight texts or something, mm. seven texts so far, something like that. Um, yeah. Have are you taking anything away from reading these? Like something that you can extract out of having read all these extreme points of view so far? I think probably the most valuable thing I've taken away is that the way we think in the mainstream of our societies and the way we do things isn't the only way. It's so easy to fall into this belief that we, the way we do things is the way things are done and the only way that things are done. Mm. And... Yeah. It's not only that change is, would be bad, but change can't exist because this is the natural way to behave. And you realise that's really not the case. It's absolutely yeah. not the case. There is a much, much broader field within which people think than, than you would commonly believe in our society. Yeah. That's probably that's, that's yeah, a positive that's... that I've taken away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope there's some positives <laughs> taken yeah. away from it. Isn't it worth spending so much time reading the most extreme things we can find to reach that conclusion? Probably not. They're probably easier ways. Other than, other than just enjoyment or just weird kind of interest, I um, what I've because I've also been reading Popper, who is an epistemologist. Um, what I at the same time is like reading these texts. Um, what I found is like. The, the space of possible ways to think or possible things to believe is enormous. I mean, you could just look at all of like mythologies. If you take mythologies as sincere explanations of the world, if you look at all conspiracy theories, um, and if you look at all of these extreme ideologies and stuff, essentially 
the human mind is capable of um, thinking a very broad spectrum of things and believing and clinging on to them. And in the case of these radical points of view or these um, extreme points of view, you can also see the human mind can become very, very, very fixated mm-hmm. on like single, single issues or single way, single lenses for understanding the world or like a single group to like villainize. And I was left with the question for myself thinking like, what firm ground can I stand on for my belief system mm-hmm. that is not based on just uh, blind assertions about, about well, something has to be this way because, um, I don't know, some faith claim or I just know it and I'm not going to question the fact that I know it, know with a capital K. Um, that's why reading Popper has been helpful. But if you don't have, if you don't, so I'm sorting out my epistemology. If you don't have like a firm ground to stand on and you haven't thought through, okay, like how am I going to construct my beliefs? How do I like filter falsehood from truth? Um, or like, what are my standards for truth? All these sorts of questions. Um, you, you don't know if you're just uh, lost your belief system is just lost in complete chaos um, and you could be and these people show me that like the chaos of possible beliefs is um, very it's it's enormous and there's a lot of places you can get lost it's like a dark forest right mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you need something to be able to navigate um, yeah that potential chaos so and we have to acknowledge <laughs> that maybe to we're lost out. too. Hence, are we oh, the yeah, crazy 100%. ones? Oh, yeah, 100%. Hence, are we the crazy ones? Now, can we answer that question directly for Solanus? No, I don't think I am. In this... in this, I don't think I am. In, in If not... <sighs> I, I especially when you take into account... Her analysis, correct. Yeah. What should be done in society? No, I'm, I'm not convinced yeah me neither I reckon that's probably everything sobering conversation to wrap it up yeah (laughs) hope you enjoyed it hope you enjoyed it next time I'm pretty sure it's Evola part 2 and we're going to be discussing Atlantis and Hyperborea more 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 woo woo fascism (laughs) (laughs) we're going from violent misandry to back to woo woo fascism (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. What the fuck are we doing with our lives? (laughs)